0: To the indie girlfriends experience, we are in UK, Brooklyn, in the Urban Hang Suite. We are together, which is amazing in
1: person.
0: Oh my gosh! Um, So yeah, we are, by coastal boos. But I am on the East Coast, and I got to see my little Dr. Tia. So excited! I haven't seen
1: Joy in like, <laughs> exactly. Like, but
0: don't even like God. count on fingers. How many? I literally came out of Penn Station today. It was like lost. Like, wait, where is this place? Like, I've literally come to this place so many times. I've taken Amtrak from Philadelphia to New York so many times, and I got out and I was lost. I was like, is this the Taj? Though, like, it's been a while. Well, let's get into our episode this week: (sighs) the Black fertility myth.
1: Absolutely, I think. You know, obviously, as a reproductive endocrinologist, it's something that is always kind of top of mind mm. because it presents in so many different ways. And it just, it, you never fails to amaze me how pervasive these myths are about fertility, but particularly in the black community. Um, and how these stereotypes were kind of forced on us, but then we also internalize them. Mm. Right. And kind of perpetuate them in a way and the damage that it does to our own reproductive health.
0: And just imagine where it comes from historically, you know, we are seen as fertile because our fertility was profitable. Like if you are able to produce children, then that was good for chattel slavery. Mm-hmm. And so fast forward now where, you know, it's not a, you're producing work, you're producing a future, you're producing black futures, black legacy. Um, It's not as, you know, mechanical, I would say, as uh, it was thought to be back then. And Mm -hmm. especially now, like, you know, everyone is having children later. Mm -hmm. And so we all know fertility changes with age. And so that black fertility myth that we have, it's not eternal. And so my favorite statement, I would say to patients, is that black don't crack, but your eggs do. (laughs) So it's just important to know that these things are not eternal. Yeah,
1: it's, it's not eternal, but even more so... I think this concept that black women were more fertile than Mm. other women is a misconception. So the same way I preach day in, day out, you know, infertility does not discriminate. Infertility can be amongst anyone. Women were able to have children. All women were, but Mm. black women were, you know, specifically targeted and looked upon to produce more people. And that is the reason why they had larger families. It Mm. was because it was income for the people who owned them, not because they were, you know, had a higher ability to have children than any other woman. Um, You know, we talk about this, I'm watching the 1619 Project and I'm in my black history bag, you know, and to see it reflected and and to understand that black scholars and black historians also make those connections is like so, you know, it's, it's heartwarming for me because I, I'm glad that people understand that this is a misconception. Yeah. This is not an innate difference in our bodies that we could have these large families. We were specifically targeted and directed to create children, whether it was through rape, you know, from masters with, you know, this kind of concept that I hate, but breeding putting two people together and saying you need to have children you can't come out until there are physical signs of pregnancy Mm -hmm. you know um, having children very close together we talk about spacing and health Mm -hmm. was not a thing it was you know get up off the bed go back to work until you're ready and then have another child because that's what brought profit in to the whole system of slavery And so just that concept, yes, women had a lot more children, you know, even after slavery agricultural society, you needed children to work the land. Also, children didn't always survive till adulthood, you know, so having 10 children, having 15 didn't always mean that you were going to have 15 adults. So people had more children back in those days anyway. But again, that did not mean that we were somehow more capable of having children than any other race of women we were just expected to yes we were forced to yes um, but then that relates in so many other ways because then that started this concept of our fertility needs to be controlled mm. and we talk about forced sterilization yes. and you know experimentation with contraception in places like Puerto Rico and in the US South and you know this whole concept now limitations on abortion oh so scary they're going to have too many kids because yes. it sees back into this myth when once again, no higher, no lower chance of having children than any other race or ethnicity of women. Um, but the way that this starts to affect people now is really thinking that there's no limit on their fertility
0: mm. yeah. and
1: that's damaging. You know, the same concept with the eggs don't crack is we don't have all the time in the world yeah. and that's hurtful and it's, you know, shocking and it's a big, big. Change from what we've been taught our whole lives, yeah. and it can be particularly devastating. I think. For and black medically
0: women. speaking, I think you know when we do talk about you know we we all have the same chance. There are there is evidence that Black women actually have more or less likely to have. You tell me this statistic because I'm gonna get it wrong because I just saw it on your Instagram last <laughs> night. <laughs>
1: but it's true. So you know, there's some conflicting data in this area, but. You know, again, I think it's important to combat this idea that infertility doesn't happen to black women. Mm-hmm. And there were studies that now from over 20 years ago that showed that black women actually had higher rates of infertility yeah. than white women. But what happens is it might be reflective of who comes to seek care exactly. and how they answer questions on different surveys. And so, you know, black women also have a higher chance of using um, tubal sterilization as a form of contraception. So therefore, maybe not realizing the permanence of of contraception and trying to get pregnant, it's not going to happen after something like that. Um, You know, there's instances where black women may present to care later. You know, um, two women from two different backgrounds have the same issues trying to get pregnant. One of them may know that, okay, it hasn't happened in six months or a year, I need to go and see a doctor. Mm. The other may not be aware. They may not be talking to family and friends, they may be asking a pastor for help. They no. may be seeking, you Urse. know, solutions in their community, yeah. um, going to different, you know, places or changing diet or just trying. And then you look up and it's been years with an S. Yeah. Wow. And then they present like with care. You know, and so yeah. that time, you know, in between does unfortunately affect outcomes and it makes a difference. So those are the kind of things, potentially higher rates of infertility specifically certain kinds like tubal, tubal. factor
0: um, and that's not that's throughout the diaspora that's how you yeah. just in black America that's also you know, noted know. In Africa. Yep. Exactly. We, you know we'll get into that um,
1: and some other things in terms of like just you know higher rates of infertility but also a longer latency of mm-hmm. infertility longer time in this infertile state which means that unfortunately even with treatment sometimes you can have less outcomes less positive outcomes
0: Okay. So this is Dr. Tia's like Bailey This is her jam. <laughs> so I am a guest star today. <laughs> no. You're not. I am going You're the
1: first line.
0: Girl, you're the first yes, line. I'm glad you said that. You we are. definitely are updating our culture care website you and are. I said like look, if you want to do a pre fertility consult, do it with us. That's because right. when you go to the fertility doctor, you're gonna pay at least five hundred dollars just to go say hello. Well. So come through. <laughs> anyway um i'm going to start with our medical leave segment and i'm going to attempt to try and break down some different forms of female fertility now um we're working in trinities today so there's a holy trinity but i i would be remiss if i did not remind people that to be fertile to be a fertile couple which is sperm and eggs coming together you need both represented and so typically throughout patriarchal cultures and just society we look at women as always the reason why people are not getting pregnant but that is not the reason it is males are just as likely um and sometimes it's mixed factor between the the couple so we're going to talk and focus on female reasons just because we are talking about the black female fertility myth but i just want to make sure you know that sperm matters too and there is such thing as a low sperm count low mortality incorrect ph all these different things that affect men from actually being able to Conceive. Yep,
1: as well as couples that don't have sperm in them, you know. Right. And I mean, that is something. Or single
0: folk who has sperm have in a situation. No sperm but You can buy that. Mix. Praise God.
1: Um. So that's good. But yeah, tell us a little bit about
0: how you break it down in terms of the different factors for infertility. Okay, so we already touched upon tubal factor. I want to go back there just because you know I have my masters in STIs and HIV. And the biggest culprits to tubal factor fertility are typically STIs like chlamydia and gonorrhea. And this is why. What's an STI? That's a Sexually transmitted infection, Mm -hmm. or you know, in lay terms, I feel like STD we use colloquially, or like you know, just as lay people. But medically, it's technically an infection. It's not a disease. Um, but it can lead to what happens is you know you get something like chlamydia or gonorrhea, or or something that's not even STI related, like a public inflammatory disease, where something in the vagina crawls up through the cervix. Up to your uterus through your tubes and it can infect your fallopian tubes. The hard part is that once that happens you don't know what happens how it heals so you might heal a scar and that can block your tubes and that's always the scary part because blocked tubes can mean complete infertility but it also can put you at increased risk for ectopic pregnancy and that's a first trimester complication of pregnancy which could be life-threatening. So tubal factor, you know, we do know um, runs rampant in our community, just like, you know, chlamydia um, runs rampant in most, you know, 15 to 24 year old um, populations, female populations, but especially in our community. So I always preach protect your tubes, protect your fertility, use a condom because contraception will not protect you against, you know, this thing that can harm your fertility.
1: That's so true. There's two other things I always bring up about tubal factor and fertility is one is you know, there are higher rates of tubal sterilization amongst black and Hispanic women than any other group. Mm -hmm. And we know that there can be a bias. We know this from medical Mm -hmm. training in terms of she needs to have a tubes tied, she needs to have her tubes tied and counseling towards tubal sterilization, which is permanent, instead of more hormonal treatments for contraception that can give people the option later in life. And so, you know, that's something that's really big to know because not everybody, if you're in a dire, circumstance, you you know, overwhelmed with babies, your economic situation, your, you know, relationship status. Sometimes saying, I don't want any more can be like your immediate, you know, concern uh, without thinking, what if things were different? What if mm. things changed? What if something happened to one of your children? Would you want another child in the future? And so being able to have options open is an important consideration that we know not every woman is afforded. Again, if people want their tubes
0: tied, I want them to have them tied. And that's the that's hard important. part. Because I think culturally, <laughs> and I keep trying to tell my patients, because a lot of, you know, where I was working previously in the county hospital, patients were referred to us for tubal ligations all the time. And I'm like, look, tubals are like, you know, our parents' generation's contraception. Like, mm-hmm. they didn't have long-acting reversible contraception, so they had to have a abdominal surgery prevent them from having more children. But I feel like we have options. There's the IUD, there's the next one. Now there's two IUDs or multiple Mm -hmm. hormonal and non-hormonal. And so I'm always trying to preach like just in case because I have so many patients who will come back in their late 30s like, oh, I met this man, girl. Mm -hmm think i want to have his baby Mm -hmm. and i even had a patient who didn't seek a doctor went straight to find like a fertility doctor to re put their tubes back together again Mm -hmm. afterwards and she keeps having ectopic pregnancies after that and so you know it's not as like you know, and God. I've been just counseling patients now, if I tie their tubes, like, you understand that if you want to have children in the future, you need to have IVF. Yes. I just tell them that, like, straight it's out point it. blank and period, and it's this much money. Yes. So this surgery is free, yes, but if you change your mind, the costs are so high. It's a really big cost, and I'm
1: glad you mentioned the topic pregnancy, because that is both a cause and mm. a result of tubal factor. So some people without a discernible cause can have a pregnancy outside of the uterus and that means wherever it is it's ectopic. The most common location for ectopic pregnancy is in the fallopian tubes. And in order to, you know, keep a woman safe, um, it has to be stopped. The pregnancy cannot continue because the t- fallopian tubes can't um, can't accommodate a growing pregnancy. They can burst, cause a lot of bleeding, and 100 years ago this is how a lot of women died in early pregnancy didn't 50 even know. Years ago. Yeah but now we do have other ways to deal with the topic pregnancies particularly if we can you know catch them early which we do a lot of times with ultrasound the issue is there's also a disparity in how atopic pregnancies are managed yes. and black and hispanic women have a higher rate of removing the, the entire tube. tube for their treatment of ectopic pregnancy in turn instead of other medications um injectable medications like methotrexate that could be tube sparing there are also surgeries that are tube sparing and so you know if you have ever if you're listening and you've had an ectopic pregnancy before you really should have a follow-up with your doctor after that pregnancy is resolved because we should figure out what's going on with your fallopian tubes, and if you had a surgery to manage your ectopic pregnancy, we need to know if how does this impact your
0: future fertility. And that's a tough one for me. Uh, I have seen, you know, the last couple, like my last couple of clinics, have been really difficult because I've had I had two patients who I had to talk to about them. You know, one person had no fallopian tubes because they had repeat. Um, repeat surgeries um, not even surgeries, sorry not surgeries, like public inflammatory disease oh, or something that basically happened and, and she had both tubes scarred in two different places and it was like one was in the ampulla of the tube which is one part in the isthmus and the other and it was just like just the agony Such because I had to tell like you know I was using an interpreter her mm-hmm. face just like sunk as she started hearing it it was just so horrible and she was just like I'm gonna get out of here mm-hmm. and another patient of mine who lost her second tube because someone did not follow up on her labs correctly, and this is how we fail patients. Because, you know, to me, whenever a patient who's already had like a tube rem- had a tube removed for ectopics, it's like you know, come in as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. We got to make sure we catch this early enough, and we yeah. failed her. And yeah, we because be I looked at the numbers. Good. If we had interpreted the way you're supposed to, mm-hmm. someone's like, oh, it's okay. It should be fine. The patient presented a week later with a burst tube and had to get. Her second yeah. over to And remove. in those
1: cases you don't have an option. You have to remove the tube. And so it can be a really difficult call. You know, listen, the healthcare system is far from perfect. But I definitely want anyone to know if you've ever had an ectopic pregnancy take that extra step to be evaluated so we can figure out what the options are for your future pregnancies. Yeah. You know, uterine factor is a big one too. I know we talk about fibroids and we have a whole nother episode on that. <laughs> um, but the uterus is the home for pregnancy. And so if there's any issues with the uterus in terms of how it's shaped, um, if there's anything that's growing inside the uterus, like a fibroid or polyp, Um, Or if there's actually scar tissue in the uterus, which can happen from some surgeries, even, you know, fibroid removal surgeries, then those could be a reason to, you know, have um, to, you know, decrease your chances of success for pregnancy or to have infertility or might play a role in your infertility. And then the other one we always talk about is ovaries,
0: eggs. And can I just go back before we go to ovaries? Mm -hmm. The reason why we ended with ovaries, because I think everyone talks about that because everyone talks about freezing their eggs. But I will say, as someone who you know did get, I had an IUI or used fertility because of my uterus, I felt was going to expire before my <laughs> my opus did. It's important we put respect on different parts of life fertility. It's not all just, you know, freezing your eggs is not going to fix everything. That's right. IVF is not going to fix everything because, especially with fibroids being so rampant in our community. That's right. I've had patients who've had multiple myomectomies, which is fibroid removal surgeries. And then it's like, you know, do I get another fibroid removal surgery? Do I get a hysterectomy? Like, you only have one womb that's going to carry a baby. That's right. And so that's also another thing that affects fertility and affects your decision-making. So don't think we're going to go into ovaries. Everyone's talking about the eggs. The <laughs> eggs are OG. But we still have to put some respect on other parts of our fertility that sometimes we, like, forget about.
1: Put some respect on my name. Okay. Um, yeah, that's true. I mean, with the ovaries, freezing your eggs is, it can be a big, you know, fertility-sparing, what we call fertility-preservation tactic. Because, you know, as you get older, your eggs are also getting older. We don't have a way to make new eggs. And so the quality of those eggs also changes with age. And so saving eggs from when you're younger can be a help. You know, the, re- the reasons why women can have infertility from an ovarian origin might be due to having too few eggs, you mm. know, or um, a poor quality of eggs. Or in some cases, the opposite is true, where there's lots of eggs, but maybe you don't ovulate Uh, because there's
0: so much competition
1: (laughs) so we talk about conditions like polycystic ovarian syndrome which people call pcos or some people call pcos it's all the same to us but you know in those cases that's why we have to have an evaluation to figure out what the issue is so we can know how to solve it
0: definitely so that is our holy trinity Mm -hmm. number one tubal a factor number two structural uterine factor and then three ovaries and you might hear people say diminished ovarian reserve because um dimin- diminished ovarian reserve so what you see with aging however she did talk about pcos um or situations where you have too many i call them egg houses but they're technically called follicles yeah that's how i break down for patients like you have too many egg houses you can't you know you can't figure out which one's going to one it's gonna pop yeah so uh, or ovulate so just you know know that there's different levels to fertility and not to look at it as just this like singular thing it's it's complicated okay okay so it is time for our around the way girls i got my bamboos on today so we are going to represent for some around the way girls who are doing the dang thing and helping annihilate the black fertility myth and supporting black women through the fertility process. So Dr. Tia, tell us about these wonderful people that you know about and you probably refer all your patients to. Oh my gosh. These are my
1: fertility sister friends. So I can't, we're talking about Holy Trinities. This is literally the Black Fertility Holy Trinity. So, you know, we're going to start with the head, actual minister, okay, Reverend Stacy Edwards Dunn. Who, through her experience both in the ministry and in her life felt that you know there was not a connection um, of what was happening to black women mm. and so she founded fertility for colored girls which is now a national organization providing support um, resources and also funding for women who are in need of fertility services mm. um, and so she is amazing great look her up she does a lot of talks on her own story and is completely so inspirational um and then and this is one of my chicago sisters another chicago sister um is the amazing regina townsend Mm. who is uh i always have to remind people she is a librarian by training so the girl is smart right (laughs) and so into history and so dynamic Uh, But she and her partner founded the uh, Broken Brown Egg. Um, for same reason, when she was going through her own fertility issues, walking into these clinics on the other side of town from South Side yeah. Chicago, so you had to go out of your neighborhood. Yeah. You're in a place where you don't know anyone, where you don't even necessarily feel safe in the neighborhood or welcomed um, into spaces where no one looked like you. And she was like, "This is crazy," you know. And so she also created a community of resources and now funding, mm. uh, first awarded the last grants, I serve on the boards always say, Okay, let's we'll find out. But um, awarded some, uh, one of their first grants last year to a wonderful couple, and so they're just really making big strides um, in fertility world. And then rounding out our trinity is Dr. Camille Hammond of the Cade Foundation. Um, she has long been a player in fertility world, raising, I mean, Thousands of dollars at this point uh, for fertility care and access. Um, she has a beautiful story and now has three almost high school seniors mm-hmm. um, to show for it. And so I definitely encourage you to um, engage with all of these organizations: Fertility for Colored Girls, The Broken Brown Egg, and the Cage Foundation. You will not be disappointed. And well, your face just lights up. When I know talk these small
0: people. It's funny because uh, whatever patients, you know, I get in these situations with patients and a lot of patients I take care of don't have the means. So I was like, referred to like, oh, look at this text message here. I have <laughs> this like screenshot of like what Tia tells me to refer people to. So, yes. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. So there's, you know, when there's a will, there's a way. And just to know that anyone who's going through this, there are people throughout this process who mm-hmm. want you to succeed
0: and who look like you. And we're two of them. So, thank you so much for listening today. We are so glad to have you and are happy to be together. That's right. All
1: right.
0: Have a good one. Bye. Hi, I'm Dr. Joy Cooper. I am a board certified obstetrician gynecologist based in the Bay Area of California. I am currently not seeing patients in person anymore. I'm completely 100% telehealth. You can find me at Culture Care. Our website is O-U-R com because we do it for the culture, our culture. We are a telemedicine startup that is connecting Black women with Black physicians at the cost of a copay. So if you would love to see me and you're based in California and New York shortly, you can just go on our website and see me. I am Dr. Tia Jackson-Bay. I'm a
1: board-certified obstetrician, gynecologist, and infertility specialist. The long name for that is reproductive endocrinology, and infertility is my field. I'm based in Brooklyn, New York, and you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Tia
0: Jackson-Bay. Thanks for joining us and don't forget to subscribe and check out our website, ndgfexp.com. Have a great one, girlfriends.